Good morning. And those of you tuning in, joining us online, thanks for joining. Hey, uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard this? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's such garbage, right? Um, Because think right now, you think back to when you were in school. I don't care if you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 20 or whatever. There were people, maybe your own siblings, who called you names. And you remember those names, right? You remember them. But I'll bet you you're like me. I've got scars on my arms and legs and stuff, and I'm looking at it. I have no idea how I got that. I don't remember that at all. But I remember those names. Don't, don't you remember those names? You do. And, and they hurt. And you still remember them. So they've left an impression. And that's the power of words. You see, uh, I want to read you a proverb. It says this, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 18. I want to challenge you to memorize that passage because that's the essence of what we're going to talk about this morning. What we've been doing is we've been moving through what we call the epistles or the letters of the New Testament. So you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you have the book of Acts, historical narrative. And then you have the book of Revelation, which is kind of apocalyptic literature. We don't have really anything like it in English, so it's kind of difficult for us to understand. And then we have these things called the letters. They start with Romans and, you know, First and Second Corinthians and all these. And um, we said most of those were written by Paul. And, uh, but today, we're going to see uh, James is uh, the letter we're going to look at today. And James, many people believe, was the brother of Jesus when he walked here on earth, which is really interesting because next week we're going to talk about uh, Jude. And Jude, interestingly enough about Jude, Jude was probably also a brother of Jesus. And they both thought at one point in his ministry, you can read about it in the Gospels, that he was nuts. They thought he was crazy. And, um, but, the, but that all changed. That all changed after the resurrection. Everything changed after the resurrection. So what do we know about James? As I said, he's probably the brother of, the, of, of Jesus. Um, he is called a pillar of the church. In, in uh, Galatians 2.9, Paul says this about James. He says, James, Cephas, that's Peter, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed Pillars gave me the right hand and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So Paul's looking back at a time where James gave James, Peter, and John, the pillars of the church, gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they welcomed him in. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church, and they welcomed him into the church. So there were, you know, some traditions say there was one leader and it was Peter. Well, if you read the New Testament, there were a number of leaders. In fact, we're going to see James was the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. He was the leader. You can go to Acts 15 where they had the controversy over what are we going to do with Gentiles? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow the law? And James was residing over that church and that council in Acts 15. So uh, there are multiple leaders in the early church, okay? There wasn't just one. 
As you read through the Scripture, you see that's very clear. Now, James was probably written during that time of, you know, the controversy, Acts 15-ish. We've been trying to see, show you that, that many of these epistles are tied to the book of Acts, and uh, we want you to see that. Um, and, and he writes, it, it's interesting. The other thing, too, is Peter and John, uh, we're going to look at their epistles. Uh, Peter writes two, first and second Peter, and then John writes three, first and second and third John. But, but Jude and, uh, and um, James, it's interesting because all, uh, all of Paul's epistles in Hebrews are written to the recipients. So it's, it's written to the Romans, it's written to the Corinthians, it's written to the Ephesians, it's written to the Galatians, uh, Colossians. But then we come to James, and the, it's not it, the, the title is not the recipients, it's the author, the one who wrote it. So James says, to the, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Now what does that mean? Well, if you read in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there was persecution that came upon the early church. And so the Christians, the Jewish Christians, had to, to, to leave, and they had to go uh, out because there was, it wasn't safe. And so he's writing this epistle to them, to the, the 12 tribes that were scattered. Now, there's a controversy, and we want to we know. Uh, some scholars come to a place and they say, well, James and Paul are in conflict in the area of faith. Now, is that true? You say, well, why would, why would they say that? Well, let me read you a couple of passages. The first one's from James, and it says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works. So he's emphasizing works, right? Now, Paul says in Galatians 2.16, by the works of the law, no one is justified. So the argument goes generally that Paul is saying that uh, faith, it's all, it's all by faith. But James is saying, no, there has to be works in there too. So who's right? Who's wrong? Well, the answer is neither one is right or wrong. It's both and. It's two sides of the same coin we call faith. So what is going on here is James is emphasizing that if your faith doesn't have work, works attached to it, then it's not really a live faith. It's dead faith. What Paul was saying was we are justified not by what we do, but by what Christ did. I think the best way to put it is this. Martin Luther wrote this statement. It's an incredible statement. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves you is never alone. And so what Martin Luther has done is he tied both Paul and James together because they were really talking about the same thing, faith, but two sides of that coin. All right. So let's jump into the passage. It's uh, James chapter 3, and uh, starting at verse 1. One of the things you'll find, and some people say to me, Pastor, what I'm reading through, I want to re start reading through the Bible, or I want to start reading the Bible on a regular basis. Where would you have me start? Sometimes I'll say the Gospel of John, but sometimes I'll say the book of James. Why? Because it's super practical, as you'll see. We're going to go through this passage, and you're going to go, okay, I see why you say that. All right, James chapter 3, look at it. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believe, believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Not really excited about that. 
okay? Just going to say, you know. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider the great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Strong words. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And the answer is no, of course not. But we do. So what we want to talk about for the rest of our time today is how do we tame our tongues? How do we tame our tongues? Somebody has said, if you can master your words, you can master your life. Essentially, that's what James is saying here, too. Proverbs says this. This is Proverbs 18.21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Uh, if you want to just have small little statements on the tongue, read the book of Proverbs. It has verse after verse after verse on the use and the misuse of a tongue. Sometimes uh, it'll, it, the proverb will be something like this, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It'll say, a man is seen as wise until he speaks. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I don't like this verse, but it's in the Bible anyway. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account to the day on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Yikes. Yeah, you should be silent right now. <laughs> Cuz that's that's uh that's that's heavy stuff. Well, how do you tame your tongue? Look, three things that I think James points us to. Number 1, you must get to the root of your tongue your own tongue. Have you ever wondered why you said that? Your words can destroy the people around you, absolutely destroy them, annihilate them, burn them to the ground. Often we think, well, the problem is with my tongue, with my words, but it's not. The problem isn't your tongue. The problem is your heart. Because Jesus said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So at any moment, your mouth, your tongue, is revealing the state of your heart. That's what it's showing you. You need to see that your words show the condition of your heart. 
And until you get a control of your heart, you'll never get a control of your tongue. If you're speaking cutting words or angry words, they're coming from your heart. To change your tongue, you have to change your heart. Okay? So how do you change your heart? How do you change your heart? Well, have you ever been in a conversation, maybe you were this week, where it was negative, it was not good, it was... And you have a couple of choices there, right? You can either be part of that conversation, you can contribute to it, you can remain silent, you can walk away, or you can change the conversation, right? You can do that, right? You, have, you can do that. If you're with somebody and they're kind of neg, neg, negative, 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 you could say, okay, you could change the whole direction, right? You get to do that. You do it with your kids, hopefully you do it with your spouse, you, 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 you get to do that. In the same way, you can do that with your heart. In, have you ever thought about that, that you get to tell your heart? There's an interesting verse in the Old Testament where David is talking and he says something like, why are you worried, O heart? What's he doing there? He's talking to his heart. He's calling his heart out. He's saying, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you doing this? Why are, you, why are you feeling this way? And, and, and that's the point. We need to speak to our heart, talk back to our heart, change the conversation and the focus of our heart. Uh, we need to see our words contain a great amount of power. And we, get to, we have the ability to create new realities. We can uh, speak uh, things out loud and express things that bring positive things into this world and into relationships and into conversations. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, you're with somebody and you, uh, you have a broken relationship. You have the opportunity to speak words that can bring hope and healing to that relationship. It may be that you're going to have to apologize or repent. You're going to have to take your responsibility for it. But you, your words, can bring healing to that relationship. There's a lot of broken relationships that just come down to one or both parties are not willing to take ownership for what they did to cause that relationship to go bad, and they're not willing to speak the words to bring hope and healing to that relationship. It may be that... Um, you could come alongside somebody who's discouraged, and you could bring, speak hopeful, encouraging words into their life. So when they walk away, they feel like, I feel like I've got new life. I feel like I have hope. I feel like I can do this. Um, do you have people like that in your life? Let me ask you that. Have, have you had recently a conversation with somebody where you walked in and you were discouraged, you were upset, you were uh, frustrated, and you, you sat down and this person talked you down, they talked you up, they encouraged your heart, and you walked away and you said, that person just lifted my heart. That, that person helped me to change the conversation of my heart with their words, with their words of encouragement. That's the power of words. That's what words can do. And so we have an incredible power to help people. Now, James uses three pictures in this passage we looked at. He says, first, he says there's the bit, the small bit in the, the mouth of the horse. He says there's a small rudder on a large ship that's driven by the wind. He says there's a small spark that could start a forest fire. And he says, and there's a small tongue in your body. 
And it could change the whole course, the whole direction of everything. And so this is the power of the tongue. This is what he wants us to see. Um, he's basically saying they're all very small, but they're all very powerful. And we need to take it. And he goes even further. And he says, and by the way, it's fueled by hell. <laughs> and so you go, okay, I should pretty much take this serious, right? Um, your words, can, he's essentially saying, can set the world on fire around you and destroy the people you love. Some of you this week, you use your words. By the way, let me just say this. I'm not just talking about your speech. I'm talking about your words that you write in emails, that you post on Facebook or Twitter, uh, the, 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 the snide, the, the, the negativity, all those things. That's, that's included in all of this. Because all that is is an expression of your heart. And by, by the way, I read Facebook and I read some of these Twitter things that are you know, from Christians, and I'm going... Let's read the fruit of the Spirit for a few minutes here, folks, because we are not using it right now. All right, so that's the first thing. You have to see the, the, the state of your tongue is the state of your heart. That's the first thing. Secondly, you need to find a trusted listening ear. This tongue is very small, but it's very powerful. But you need help. You cannot control this on your own. You need help. You need a friend that you give them permission to call you out. By the way, if you're that friend that has that been given permission to call them out, here is your, here's your instructions. Speak the truth in love. Have you ever had somebody come who you haven't given them permission, you haven't invited them, but they decided they're going to come into your life and speak truth into your life? I have, no thank you, <laughs> I've had people come and just tell me the truth and walk away, and some have even said, I have the gift of, when, whenever somebody comes up to you as a pastor and they say to you, I have the gift of prophecy, I'm a prophet, and God wants me to tell you something, I go, whoops, or if I get an email and there's no spacing, and there's about 8,000 words, I go, uh-oh. Or if I get a letter and open it up, and it's the same thing, I go, uh-oh, I'm not going to get love here, I'm going to get truth here. You ever have anybody mow you down with the truth? Like a machine gun? <laughs> they walk away and go, job done. That's not what we're talking about. The opposite is true. Where somebody, you, you know you've got a problem, and you go to them, and, and they're, they're kind to you and stuff, and, and you say, you know, people have said that I'm a little arrogant, I'm a little proud, I'm a little, you know, I get a little angry too easy. Is that true? And you go, no, are you kidding me? Who are they? They're idiots. You're, you're the nicest guy. You, you're like a little kitten. And you know they're lying, right? So that's, that's love without truth or truth without love. But that's not what it is. If you are the person that somebody has invited you into the life to say, hey, when the wheels start coming off, when I start getting speaking angry words or fearful words or anxious words or 
if I, you just hear that, because I can't hear it myself sometimes. I can't smell my own stink. I can't hear my own words. You come up to me and say, hey, I'm hearing, I'm hearing anxious words. What's going on? Hey, I'm hearing a lot of words of fear. What's going on in your life? But speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Because the idea there is that you're, you're trying to help this person gain control and change the conversation of their heart. Sometimes we need help in that. Sometimes we need a trusted friend who can speak those, those words in our heart. It's really important. We all need help. We all need somebody that we give them permission to listen to our words. Many times that's our spouse, by the way, if you're married. Somebody that says your spouse is God's best sandpaper in your life. And that's actually true if you're willing to listen to them and take it to heart. But we need people like that. Now, I've heard people say this. Well, Pastor, I don't care what people think. I don't care. Okay. But let me say this to you. You may not care what most people think, but you, should, you better care what some people think. If you ever want to have people around you that love you and care about you, you better care about what some people think. I mean, I get that, you know, you can't, be ple- you can't please everyone. I get that. But that's not what sometimes people are saying. Sometimes people are saying, I don't care what anybody says. Well, you should care about what some people think. Your kids, your, your wife, your friends, your family members. Again, understand the context of what we're talking about here. People sometimes think, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how <clears throat> the tongue can do something. Have you ever wondered, how did, I let, how did I let the wheels come off on my tongue sometimes? Like, you go to work, and you work for a boss that you consider an idiot. He just doesn't try very hard. I mean, he just, he, excel, he, he, the only thing that he is good at is being stupid and an idiot, in your mind. And one day, he gives you a task, he gives you jobs to do that you just don't want to do. And you are tired, you're frustrated, and you finally say, no, I'm not going to do it, you're an idiot. You just say it. You've had enough. You say it. And he says, okay, I'm an idiot. You're fired. Okay, you're fired. You come home. Your spouse says to you, how'd it go at work today? Oh, not so good. What happened? Oh, I told the boss he was an idiot. How'd that go? Well, I don't have a job anymore. Well, you know what we do have still? A mortgage. Bills that aren't going to go away. That's all right. I'll get a new job. Okay. You fill your resume out. You, you send it out. You call, you're called in for an interview. The interview goes swimmingly. And the, the person interviewing for the job says, oh, by the way, one last question. Why did you leave your last job? I decided to call the boss an idiot because he was. Okay, thanks for coming in. We'll call you. Uh huh. That one word, that one f- moment 
that you lost it. Or sometimes you just go off, you're angry with your kids or your, with your spouse or with somebody, and you just go off and you say horrible, terrible things, and then you kind of get, you get, you get your feet back on the ground and you go, what happened? You did exactly what James says. You allowed hell to come out of your tongue. You say, how in the world could I go so far? That's because that's what will happen. Have you ever done that where you've just lost it and you come back and, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I, I, can't, believe, I can't believe I went that far. James saying, well, believe it because you did. And you'll do it again too. Here's the last thing you need to see. You need to rehearse your father's affirming words. Couple, there's a number of times that are really significant in Scripture where the father affirms his son. In Mark 11, 111, uh, Matthew 3, 14, it says, A voice from heaven uh, came from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love and am well pleased. Can you imagine? Have you ever had words like that from somebody in your life? Some of you grew up in a home where, let's just say you did have both parents there, but it wasn't very affirming. And by the way, uh, for, for boys, for men, uh, affirmation is really super important. You come to the book of Acts, it's very interesting, because it, it, if you go to Acts 5 and you, you read the roles, the, it, we, always, we always get tripped up on the passage where it says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And this is husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church, right? We get, well, that makes sense. But we always get hung up on that, that submission thing, right? But then at the end, it's interesting. Read the last verse of that chapter because Paul says, and now husbands need to love their wives, and wives must or should, I don't, I don't know the language he uses, I don't have it memorized, but he says, respect. He doesn't use the word submit, he uses the word respect. Why does he do that? I think generally because most women need to know that they're loved by their husband. That their husband loves them, besides God, loves them more than anyone or anything. They need to know that. And they need to hear those words. I love you. I will always love you. I am absolutely committed to you. You know what men need? Affirmation. You know what wives have a hard time giving to men? Affirmation. Well, they don't deserve it. No, they don't. You're absolutely right. They don't. <laughs> That's not the point. But you know what little boys need from their dads? Affirmation. They need to grow up knowing. Thou art my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, daughters need it too, but sons really need it. My point is, you may have grown up in a home where there was no affirmation. I mean, dad's home, watch out, he's angry. You didn't grow up in a home where there was any affirmation. You didn't get it anywhere. Maybe you got it from a coach. Maybe you got it from a teacher. My point is, let me ask you a question. When was the last time 
that somebody from any planet in the universe affirmed you (laughs) anytime, anywhere? When was the last time somebody just spoke positive, encouraging words into your life? Think about that just for a minute. If you're like most people, you're going to have a hard time finding that happened in your life. You're going to have a really hard time. It might be weeks, it might be months, it might be years, it might be never. Kids are like a sponge. Now, I think sometimes we go too far and we say, Johnny, you're going to be the best NBA player in the world. And No, Johnny is going to be 5'4 at the best. He can't jump. He can't dribble. Johnny's not playing basketball, okay? Let's just not do that. But we can always say to Johnny, Johnny, I love you. You're doing a good job. Johnny, thank you. You can affirm in different ways. You can praise them in different things. You, we all need that is what I'm saying. How, well, when was the last time, if you're married, that you affirmed your spouse, that you affirmed your children, that you affirmed your parents, that you affirmed your, your friends, your coworkers, that you just said a positive word about them or to them? I know everybody wants to get on the bandwagon of how bad a person is, and and it's easy to jump on that bandwagon, but when was the last time that you basically said, I'm not going to be like the rest of the world and beat down on people. Instead, I'm going to be the positive word of encouragement. I'm going to be an oasis of encouragement to the people around me, especially the people close to me. Because if you will not do it for the people close to you, how in the world are they ever going to hear words of encouragement? James says, you can either tear people down with your tongue, or you can build them up, you can give them hope, you can give them encouragement. You get to choose. Isn't it interesting that we as Christians aren't known as very encouraging people? We're critical. We're angry. We have the truth. But not a lot of love. Not a lot of forgiveness. Not a lot of grace. It's interesting. In Scripture it says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says, listen to him. But it also says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, maybe you saw this before, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You have an inner voice that is telling you, you are his son and daughter, and he is well pleased with you. That's what Scripture says. Some of you look at God and say, he's angry with me, he's upset with me, he's mad at me. And I just want to say, God loves you and he's always in your corner and you're his son and daughter. If you've given your life to him because he gave his life to you, you belong to him. The Spirit is affirming that. It's time for us to become, instead of critical of everything, 
I think you have to be a critical thinker and you have to. But there is a way of approaching even conflict. We're going to talk about that as we have the seminar that's coming up here. But positive words of, of, of affirmation are so critical to human existence, especially children. They're like sponges. Um, here's your assignment for this coming week. I want you to become an oasis of encouragement. Instead of seeing scorched earth behind, you know, as you go through this week behind you because of you said this and you did this and you, you hurt this person and hurt this person and said this person. Instead of a scorched earth approach, let's, let's change that. Let's make it a, an oasis of encouragement approach. That we find the people that we're, that we're close to and we find ways to speak words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words of faith, words of hope to them. And we ch help them change the conversation of their hearts because kids and parents and people are having a lot of bad conversations with their hearts. And our words are powerful enough, we speak them out loud to change the direction of a person's heart. We change the direction of a person's heart. We change their hope. We change their, their conversation. We change everything. So maybe you start with your spouse, your parents, your siblings, your friends, your coworkers. And what's your next step? So let's just close with this. Do you need to mend some bridges? Because you've said some things. <laughs> And you, you just got to go, you got to walk it back and you got to come back and not say, I said this, but you did this or you said, no. I said this was absolutely wrong and I offended you and I hurt you with my words. I hurt you with my actions and I want to take ownership for that. It's all on me. That's it. Maybe you've allowed your heart just to go off. You think, well, it's just the way it is. It's kind of like a conversation I'm at at work or at home and it's negative and I just kind of just sit there and I can't do it. Yes, you can. You get to speak to your heart. You get to tell your heart, no, knock it off. You get to call a friend in and say, friend, speak to me. You hear this? You know, help me talk back to my heart. How are you going to use your words of encouragement and refreshing today, this week? And what's your plan? And so, my challenge to you is, from the book of James, will you become an oasis of encouragement? Because I want to tell you something. The desert is full of people who have yet to see an oasis in weeks and months and years, and they're just waiting for that oasis to come along so they can have a drink of water. And God wants you to be that drink of water. You get to do it. But you can't do it unless you allow the Spirit of God. You affirm what God says about you first. And you say, I'm not going to follow my heart. I'm going to guide my heart. I'm going to train my heart. I'm going to talk back to my heart. I'm going to get help in that from friends. And I'm not going to be the same person I always was. I'm going to change. God is going to sanctify me. He's going to change me. Uh, 
let's just stop this whole talk as Christians. That that's all, that's who he's always going to be. That's all who he's always been. No, 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 no. Jesus is creating something new in you if you belong to him. Not old, it's new. So we need to become the oasis of encouragement to the people around us, especially the people close to us. And you have to be specific, and you have to be intentional about it. But you start doing that, and you will see things. You'll see people light up right before your eyes. And you, instead of being one who drags people down in your wake, will be raising people up. And you will be one of those people that you talk about and say, I just was with, and I don't know what it is about them. They lift burdens off of me, and I don't even know how they do it. That's the kind of person that James says you can be if you choose. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I think we should choose that. So it's very practical. The question is, how will we do today, this week, this month? Stand with me. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your help, we are doomed. We need your help. We need help. We need your uh, church to help us. We need your Holy Spirit, your indwelling Holy Spirit. But, Father, help us to be an oasis of encouragement that our words don't tear down or beat down, but they build up and they bring life and refreshing and hope and encouragement. Because there's so many in our world today, Father, that are just so beaten down and so hurting. And can we bring the balm and bring the healing and bring the hope and bring those positive words into the life of the people around us that so desperately need to hear it? And thank you, Father, that when we give our lives to you because you gave your life to us, you say, this is my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Thank you, Father, for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.